0: Hi, and welcome to The Sustainable Century, where we explore with experts, with leaders, activists, communities of interests, mothers, fathers, and kids, how to buy, how to work, and how to invest for happier lives and a healthier planet. I'm your host, Mark D'Souza Shields. Well, I have admired Donna Katzen and her vision, tenacity, and deep sense of justice for many years. She's a leading voice and advocate of social justice and economic equality. Uh, Her tool of choice, impact investment, something that she and her organization, Shared Interest, has been doing long before the term was even coined. Uh, Donna is currently founding executive director of Shared Interest, a truly impactful fund working in South Africa and Southern African countries, empowering low income folks and farmers with the capital to help them and their communities prosper. Uh, she uh, She's a board member of the Thambani International Guarantee Fund in South Africa and uh, the Center for Community Change in the US. Uh, she holds a master's degree in community organization and planning and a doctorate in human service education and development. I didn't know that, Donna. Wow, welcome.
1: Thank you. It's great to be here with you, Mark. Thanks for including me.
0: Yeah, and um, wow. I got a bunch of questions for you, but let me start first by saying, 25 years, shared interest, 25 years. That is an incredible accomplishment. And I can't help but asking at the top about, you're going to have a gala next week or something like that?
1: Yes, April 25th in New York, we are going to be celebrating 25 years of shared interests work and of South Africa's democracy. So Mandela got elected 25 years ago. And ever since then, shared interest has been working with South Africa to try and make a reality of the rights that so many people fought and died And work for. So we're hoping people will join us. Um, They can go to www.sharedinterest.org and get more information about the gala, still some tickets available. And we're honoring some of the most iconic people in the anti-apartheid movement, and also people building the new South Africa. So it's going to be quite a night.
0: Well, that's great. And listen, I'm going to, I'm going to tell everybody it's at the Edson ballroom in New York city and they can eat. People can even call if they want it. It's 646-442-0185. I normally don't plug events, but this is, this is one that if you can go and you're all interested in learning or being a part of what shared interest has done, um, mm-hmm. this is certainly something that you can do. And we'll talk a little bit later about how people can help out your organization. Um, yeah, great. But Thanks. let's start with this, Donna. Uh, it, Sometime after the fall of apartheid in South Africa, which you mentioned was like about 25 years ago, Nelson Mandela said, your partnership is as necessary now as it was in 1994, and has helped us to develop new strategies and tools to give substance and shape to the vision and energy of our people. Now, Nelson Mandela is my hero. I love him. Uh, And I really want to understand, what did he mean by substance and shape uh, to the vision?
1: Well, in 1994, when political power changed hands in South Africa with the end of apartheid, economic power did not change hands. So as a street vendor said to me at the time, political freedom without economic freedom is not freedom. This is something we know in our own country. Um, but at that time, shared interest was set up. to try and put some of the economic nuts and bolts in place to make a reality of these wonderful rights that were written in the Constitution, but not yet a practical reality food, housing, education, jobs for people in townships and rural areas. And so uh, today, it's still a challenge. 25 years does not wave a magic wand. Official unemployment is still more than 27% in South Africa. And two out of every seven kids under five go to bed hungry every night. So huge work still to be done despite tremendous achievements. And shared interest has set up this fund this tool that we have been using since then that have reached two point two million low-income black South Africans and begun to move the country's mainstream banks to lend to them.
0: Why don't, why don't you explain just a little bit how it works? I know it's a guarantee fund of types, but for a lot of people that's you know that's Latin. I mean I know you've got an elevator pitch for this one.
1: Yeah, well picture a <laughs> picture a small business. Or picture a cooperative of people who come in, women farmers who would like to get a loan from a bank because they want to grow more crops and better crops. And they go into the bank, and the bank doesn't say, Oh my goodness, you're black, or Oh, you're women, or Good Lord, you're a cooperative. Um, They're more likely to say, Ah, but you have no collateral. So at that point, we will have been partnering with this cooperative, with this organization, and be able to say to the bank yes, they do have collateral because shared interest is going to help share the risk that the bank fears. In case this group does not repay, shared interest will cover up to say 75% of that loss. It's like co-signing for a student loan or co-signing for any other kind of loan. Mm. We are there to give the backing that the entrepreneur, the farmer, the cooperatives need when they go to the bank. And we also provide technical support.
0: It's sort of like having a good friend uh, co-sign your loan, I suppose.
1: Yeah, and part of our model is not just about getting money in the hands of the businesses, co-ops, women, youth who need it, but actually by beginning to change the way the bankers bank. No biggie, right? (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Sorry. I mean, yeah, exactly, right. So you can see this is a a long-term project, but in fact, um, we've moved 18 Financial institutions in South Africa and a couple of other countries to extend more than $128 million in credit to people that they would never before have considered clients. The goal is to get the banks to do this on their own once they discover these perfectly bankable, perfectly competent, low income, enterprising, hardworking Black South Africans are very good clients and their ordinary business.
0: Well, you know, I I don't know if you know, I've been doing a lot of work for the International Fund for uh, Agricultural Development, and and my my background is in finance as well. Yes. Mm -hmm. Gosh, it is hard to lend to a farmer. I mean, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: it is hard. If you're a conventional bank, you go, Mm -hmm. look, I just don't know, especially nowadays with climate change risk, there's no model for that. And and so how successful have the farmers been in, in repaying their loans?
1: Well, the overall success rate, uh, we've had a a loss rate overall in 25 years of of losing about 6% of the money that's been guaranteed. But no investor has lost a cent because we maintain reserves that help us match and manage this risk. If we took no risk, people would say, what are you doing? What difference are you making? but I want to give you uh, I want to give you an example specifically about farmers because this is a guarantee that is just put together in Malawi, and Malawi is one of the hardest hit countries by drought by accelerating climate change and so women <clears throat> are growing legumes these are uh, like pigeon pea, cow pea, peanuts, soya, things like that that they can use that are climate resilient grown with local seeds. And in fact, a big part of the answer to Malawi's hunger problem that stunts 42% of the country's kids. So these seeds are essential. They're climate resilient, they're high protein. But these women that are growing these seeds cannot get them to market because the people who buy them, do not have the resources to put them on the market in a big way. And so we've been working with a network of women called African Women in Agribusiness. These are women entrepreneurs who buy these very special climate-resilient seeds and also some other products from more than 1,000 women around Malawi and then bring those seeds and those other products to market in a way that benefits up to 90,000 buyers when you consider who is buying the seed. But this is a a whole new value chain. It's a whole new way of producing climate-resilient seeds. But if you think about it from the bank's point of view, no Malawian bank is jumping over itself, trying to go lend to low-income Black rural women who are, by the way, doing agriculture. So our sharing the risk in this project has helped move the lender to make the loan. It has helped these rural women get their very special seeds and products into mainstream markets and has helped build connective tissue the women in agriculture who buy the seeds package and put them on the market.
0: Whoa. So it's a
1: whole women-driven system that, of sustainable seed production that is putting the power in the hands of Malawi's rural women.
0: It, it's an incredible challenge. I've had the privilege of working a couple times in Malawi, and I can tell you that this is no easy country to be, uh, to be a farmer, and it's, uh, it's no easy country to be a, a woman farmer particularly. I was talking with Daniel Moss of the Agroecology Fund last week, and we were looking at the changing rates of women farmers over time in African countries. And in the southern part, uh, I can't remember South Africa, but I certainly remember Mozambique, and I certainly remember... Um, mm-hmm. Malawi, it's the, the percentage of women-headed households that are doing farming has risen in the order of seven to eight percent in the last two or three years. So this is an incredibly, uh, incredibly important uh, in, uh, type of development for women to to cover some of the risk in their value chains.
1: Yeah, and one thing that's interesting is that women throughout Africa and particularly in Southern Africa are doing the family farming. They are putting bread on the table. Um, I was at a conference last week with and Michelle Nelson Mandela's, <clears throat> Nelson Mandela's widow. And her, her theme is put, put bread on the table and money in the bank right. because helping women move from subsistence agriculture to commercial agriculture, where they can begin to have profits to make money that they can then reinvest in their families, their kids' education, growing more of this specially adapted seed, that that move, that step up the ladder from subsistence to business is what a key transformational moment, and it's where many of us are focused
0: yeah and it it's also it allows them to build up some reserves for health problems or paying for education all these wonderful things mm-hmm. that we kind of take for granted in many any many places listen let's shift gears a little bit um and cool. i know this is this is a bit of a more general you know sort of uh, question but i really wanted to ask it uh mm-hmm. to you you know you've been doing this for 25 years and 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 you've been an incredible advocate for social and economic justice and empowerment. But not only that, you've been a pioneering impact investor. And as I mentioned at the top, uh, I mean, you were doing impact investment before that term was even invented, was even coined. So I'm kind of curious, what do you take, what's your take on the big boys, and I literally mean big boys, uh, at (laughs) Goldman Sachs and JP Morgan, now that they're in the quote unquote impact investment game? Uh, and, and these are concepts that you and your colleagues and organizations, you know, peer organizations <laughs> have laboriously developed over the past three decades. I mean, what's, what's your take on that?
1: Well, it's first of all, we're experiencing what so many people have worked for, the idea of investing for impact and not just for profits uh, or for short term profits going mainstream. So that is a good thing. And we're all very excited that that's happening. But the quest, there is a, a risk in all of this that as it goes mainstream, people will become fuzzy on what it actually means. Um, and if impact is something that means too many things, it will end up being diluted to mean nothing at all or sink to the lowest common denominator. Cool. I think this is a tremendous opportunity that we have for people to better understand what kind of impact they're looking for as investors and to become more sophisticated in prioritizing and measuring how they're getting to those priorities. So shared interest's particular take on this, I mean, our focus has been not on do-it-yourself investing one business at a time, but more catalytic investing that moves institutions and communities to move forward together. The guarantee model is already uh, catalytic because it helps to move banks, but it helps to connect them to communities, to technical support providers, and to the markets that are so critical for this to work. Um, If we are looking to move mainstream institutions to play their role, So say banks in southern Africa, then you need not just one investment at a time in one very interesting business, and there are fascinating businesses to invest in, but you also need to invest in the infrastructure, that is, organizations and investments that will help pull others in because this work is much bigger than all of us.
0: Absolutely. Uh, You know, I just always just wonder if if the Goldman Sachs and JP Morgans have reached out to people like you with with your incredible experience and, and pioneering work.
1: Yes. Well, we have had, sure, we have had a a number of conversations. Their model at this point is not set up to serve or to connect organizations of our size. So they're still looking for the mega investments, the larger ones, which were the way they're structured. I can understand that. So there is a piece of connective tissue missing here, which is to connect the major investments to those that are on the ground working directly with communities and helping to move other institutions.
0: Yeah, that's great. Listen, I want to take a little break right now, and at your recommendation, we're going to listen to Hugh Masekela, grazing in the Grass. grazing in the grass, and we're talking with Donna Katzen of Shared Interest, uh, which is celebrating their 25th year of empowering entrepreneurs and farmers in South Africa and Southern Africa. Uh, You can check them out at uh, sharedinterest.org or uh, on Twitter at Shared Interest, and again, they're celebrating their 25th anniversary, that's on April 25th at the Hudson Ballroom in New York City. Get tickets, 646-442-0185, or check it out on the internet. How, Donna, I want to ask you, uh, you know, I'm plugging you voraciously because I love your institution. Your well,
1: this is such an honor. Thank you, Mark. It's how else a joy. Can,
0: but how else can people help you out uh, if not at the gala?
1: Well, the people can be in touch with us. Uh, people help and are part of this work in a number of different ways. We have a delegation that's going to South Africa and Malawi in August. We take delegations. We have people who meet around the country, so not just, uh, not just in New York where we are, but we have events and friends, and we'd like to connect those communities where we work in places like Chicago, Boston, San Francisco, L.A., Washington, uh, sometimes Minneapolis. So, People who would like to connect from different parts of the country or New York, please let us know. Um, We're really looking to help build these communities because the work in Southern Africa is absolutely um, passionately, historically relevant. We have a great deal to learn from it and a great deal to share, people to people, which is what fueled much of the anti-apartheid movement, but now is equally exciting in this stage of building. We share so many common issues, and there's just so much joy and so much learning. So we yeah. would love to to spread the net as far as we can.
0: And I'll say it for you: people can donate or they can invest. So check it out.
1: Exactly <laughs> right. Thank you.
0: <laughs> At sharedinterest.org. Listen, uh, we've known each other for a long, long time, and you know that I am equally voracious about advocating for economic inclusion and equality, as you are. I, at least I hope I am. Anyways, but Certainly I, I wanted to ask, don't, I mean, I get a little depressed sometimes. Do you ever get a little depressed sometimes about the amount of impact investment? I mean, it's going up and up and up on paper anyways. But so too are the magnitudes of the problems we're trying to address with this money. And I just... I just sometimes sometimes feel, uh, Donna, that impact investment is 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 punching way below its weight. And I, I want to take an example. And I don't know if you're familiar with it, but um, I think it was a week and a half ago or two weeks ago that um, the Securities and Exchange Commission in the United States failed to uh, force Exxon, uh, the big oil company, to put on a very very mild question on climate change on their agenda at their AGM. Um, mm-hmm. And that's despite the fact nine impact so-called impact investors controlling 9 trillion dollars were in favor of the question being put on the agenda I mean, what mm-hmm. what do we make of that
1: yeah well that's an impressively depressing statement <laughs> <laughs> so yeah makes you makes you Sorry. totally makes you makes you wonder um i think so the experience that we gathered not only in the anti apartheid movement but many other social movements that and those that are still going on is are two two big things one is that we don't work alone and so often it takes many partners doing many different kinds of strategies. It may take some people inside the boardroom, some people filing shareholder resolutions, some people proactively investing in change. Um, It it takes more than a village. It uh, it, It takes a world of actors and activists. The other thing that we learned is that you can't tell when change is going to come. And sometimes you just do this stuff over and over again, and you're beating your head against the wall, wondering when is there going to be change, and then it happens. Many of us never thought we were going to see um, a majority-led government in South Africa. Uh, Many of us never thought we would see a Barack Obama elected in this country. Um, So you don't always know when those things are going to happen, but you do it because you have to do it to create the conditions, because if you don't, then it surely doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. I think the the other not so depressing thing is that there are some really, really bright lights um, on the horizon, there are some really wonderful examples of change. And we see it at the micro level in so many of the projects that we work with. And then we see it at the macro level when the banks tell us, uh, we don't need your guarantee anymore. We're doing this stuff ourselves. These guys are perfectly good clients. Mm. But when we go to, for example, a rural cooperative in South Africa, where the government bought the land from the retiring former white owners and gave it to the workers and gave them some technical support so that they could put themselves together into co-ops. But that meant nothing without working capital to make a success of these farms. And so our helping them get the access to that capital has meant that over 500 people on each of these two farms we work with are now growing crops successfully. They did not suffer from the huge drought that hit the Western Cape near, in their area, and had people taking 60-second 60, 60 showers. You should try that, by the way, if you want to get a feeling of what running out of water feels like. Uh, Cape Town thought it was going to run out of water. And, and yet, these agricultural co-ops did not, because they were able to adapt, because they had the skills, the finance, the support to survive. And when you see people who have been considering, considered farmhands and basically not worth very much by the surrounding society when they were growing up, taking over, driving the course of their own development and seeing their future for the first time as owners of these farms, you have a, you have a sense of what, what is possible without a huge amount of money. Yeah. So if that's a microcosm, you can imagine if we can spread this, do this work at a greater scale, how far the transformation can go and how deep.
0: Yeah, you anticipated my next question. How do we actually do two things, take it to scale and make an impact at the systems level? I mean, the problems just seem to be getting bigger.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm, yes, yes, (laughs) they they are, Um, but in fact, they're not the biggest problems that the world has ever dealt with, although climate change certainly, the planet we live on is certainly an unbelievable challenge at this point. Yeah. Um, the the question of, of systems change is built into what we do because, at end, and we're not the only ones doing this. I'm using us as a model, but there are other organizations as well that look at, changing the way institutions operate, and so building things not only from the ground up, but also from the institutions, some of which have traditionally kept people poor and powerless, and have the ability to empower as well. So we focused on on banks and on technical support organizations, um, somewhat on policy. All of that is important. For us, the question of scale and why one might be optimistic in some ways, to uh, offer a slight antidote, <laughs> is that uh, for, for one thing, working in Southern Africa, we see a huge demand growing, not only for our guarantees, but for this kind of institutional transformation. So when we go uh, to the countries that we work in, we're typically accosted by people from other countries that are saying, why are you not yet in Ghana? Why are you not in Nigeria? What's the matter? Why are you not in Ethiopia? So we're feeling this this pull on the demand side for this partnership of investors that can help unlock money for people on the ground, for farmers, for small entrepreneurs, for young people and women. On the supply side, which is also interesting, is that we are beginning to see, and this is particularly hopeful for me, a new crop of investors coming up. So younger, new generation investors that are prioritizing, in fact, transformative, regenerative investing, investing that makes a difference for the client, client, that helps people not only adapt and survive in the face of climate change, but also Reduce some of the reduce some of the causes that are contributing to right. it. So, as as young and up and coming advisors investors prioritize the kind of world they want to build and the kind of change they want to make, that to me is one of the most hopeful dimensions of our work, and that's why we're committed to doing this for the next generation.
0: Well, that was my kind of my last question to you: is what's next for the next 25 years?
1: We're in the middle right now of doing a strategic plan, so all the tiny uh, details of this are not worked out, but we are certainly, as shared interest, committed to being part of this continental transformation that we see as a driving force in addressing some of the most pressing problems on the world's agenda, things like inequality, climate change, and the need to help societies come together in spite of things that pull them apart. These are challenges that our colleagues in Southern Africa are dealing with on the front lines. And we don't see ourselves running out of work. So we are committed to being partners with new, new partners, old partners to take this work forward. And this will mean for us working in some new countries. We're already working in Swaziland, now East Watini, Mozambique, Zambia, and Malawi. Um, we will be reaching out further and we will also be doing deeper, more transformational work, not only in communities, but with the institutions that need to be serving them. Well, that's, that is fantastic. And I can't help, but
0: say this, you mentioned at the top, uh, before we started recording, you're, uh, you have a new addition to your family.
1: I do. I have a granddaughter and she is the best reminder I have of why this work is so stunningly necessary and why wherever people connect to impact investing they need to be asking the deeper questions what will transform this system
0: yeah it's fantastic it makes you want to work more intensely to make the world a much better and more sustainable place thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us Donna and best of luck with your big gala event and the coming years
1: well, thanks so much, Mark. It's been a pleasure. We hope to see everybody on April 25th and look forward to continuing this conversation.
0: Yeah, that's fantastic. Uh, we were talking with Donna Katzen of Shared Interest, which is celebrating their 25th anniversary of empowering entrepreneurs and farmers in South Africa and Southern Africa. You can check out their work at sharedinterest.org or on Twitter at Shared Interest. Um, you can also buy a ticket to their gala event on April 25th in New York City at the Edison Ballroom, Edison Ballroom, sorry, 646 uh, And if you want more uh, pods and videos and blogs on all things sustainable, I invite you to check the Sustainable Century out. That's the SustainableCentury.net. Um, next week, we'll be listening to, uh, we'll be interviewing Daniel Moss of the Agroecology Fund. So thanks for listening, and remember, rise, rebel, and regenerate. I'm Mark D'Souza Shields, host of The Sustainable Century. Thanks for listening. I hope you liked it. If you did, I encourage you to check out the Sustainable Century blog at thesustainablecentury.net. Remember to click like in all the right places. Better yet, pass the blog or pass the pod along. And remember, it's up to you. It's up to us to make this a happier and healthier world.